your attention. Another glorious day to worship the Lord. I shared something not long ago with uh, a non-Christian. I asked, why is it you think we worship on the Lord's Day Sunday? And she had no idea. I said it's the first day of the week. It's a day that the Christian regards Jesus Christ, the same day He rose from the dead, we elect to choose to worship. The Scripture says that Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. That's another precious mystery that the Lord's people enjoy. The way of God is known in the church of the living God. Is that what we are in the church of the living God? We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have any particular text this morning. Uh, Brother Steve asked me to open up, and so I would want to encourage you in the message of the gospel. One of the greatest preachers that ever walked this earth, who drew some 6,000 regular hearers Sunday in and Sunday out for decades, which was remarkable, They thought he could do it surely for once or twice, but to do it for a continual amount of time was indeed proof of the unction of the Holy Spirit upon his ministry. One of the unique characteristics of that great preacher, I don't need to mention his name, was his intelligence. He was brilliant. If you ever read his sermons, you'd be hard-pressed to find a phrase or a sentence that ever was redundant of all those messages. But he was so brilliant and he wondered, many wondered why he didn't get into the deep, deeper things of theology. Maybe a sermon, maybe he could tear apart infralapsarianism or superlapsarianism or some great doctrine theologically. But the secret to his ministry was the simplicity of the gospel of Christ, the gospel message. And that statement often reminds me of the simplicity of the gospel that Christ himself preached. You ever notice him on the seashores, rounding up disciples, calling people, calling his chosen along his side, and he preached the gospel, the gospel message. I believe that's the secret of our own hearts, strength in times of great distress and hardship. is not the great profound doctrines that, you know, we like to dive into once in a while, but the simplicity that we have in Christ, just the rare basics that encourage and strengthen us, the message that Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom we can all say, I am chief. Yes, when we think about God accepting us, not on our own terms, but by and through the mediator, Christ Jesus That's the only way that we can really find the peace that's afforded us. You know, when we think about the gospel message in Christ throughout all the gospel accounts, I think of him as a sovereign shepherd preacher. Think about that. One of the uh, occasions that I find before me is when Martha, knowing that Do you believe 
you believe? I mean, he could have expounded on the great doctrine of election from before eternity passed, which, of course, he did, and which Paul the Apostle expounds clearly. But at that moment, in the greatest height of her bewilderment, her fears, I mean, Lazarus was something more than just a brother to Martha and Mary. He was probably the staple income, the security, the, no doubt, a young man. And yet Jesus says to her, do you believe? Yes, I believe, she said. I believe that thou art the Christ. And I believe my brother will rise in the last day. But Jesus had something more to impress upon her than the teachings which she answered appropriately and correctly. He wanted to focus not on a particular text, maybe somewhere out of the book of the prophets, but he wanted to focus on himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, the whole purpose of the gospel is to shed light on Christ, who is our life. Christ, who is our life. And that's what we are afforded today. We are afforded the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of the gospel, which convey the message that salvation is accomplished in Christ. You ever wonder how long it was from the time Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees when the glory of God first appeared to him, the time when he was first introduced by God's sovereign grace to the call, the effectual call, when he was surrounded, embedded, secure within paganism. And the time that he believed in the promise. You know how long it was? It was, well, let's say he was around 75 in Ur of the Chaldees. And he was about 99 when he believed in the promise. The chosen, the elect of God, the one who would come in the fullness of time and take upon himself the sins of his people. At which time it was said that it was imputed unto him for righteousness. You know, that's a very strange term. But I want to consider just for a second how long it was from his call to his eventually understanding the message of the gospel of Christ. I believe when the Lord Jesus Christ at the tomb of Lazarus was calling on Martha to believe in him, it was almost, in my mind, equivalent to the time in which Abraham fully understood and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I find that amazing. And because of that belief, it was imputed to him as righteousness. And that's a strange term. Uh, It just simply means, in my understanding, something that's transferred to you. And I believe almost everyone here can understand it in light of what they carry in their own purse or pocketbook or wallet. It's like a debit card, if you will. If you think about a debit card, you can either add to it or you can subtract. And when you think about imputing something to somebody's account, you're adding something. You're not taking away. When we believe 
When Abraham believed, when Martha believed, when you and I today believe in what Christ accomplished, it is transferred to a credit on our account, if you will. In other words, we're enriched, we're blessed. The writer of the book of Romans, Paul, said it was a blessedness. It was an enjoyment. It was a promise that literally comes to life, if you will. And when we see the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the gospel accounts, we see this over and over again, how He preaches the gospel or seeking others to be made aware of what He came for. And this is why I insert that word sovereign, the sovereign shepherd preacher, because we see Jesus Christ attending to the sheep. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to call the righteous, if you will, the higher-ups, the elites among the law service, but He came to call sinners to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ in His sovereignty approaches uh, His people the lost sheep of the house of Israel, ultimately later on beyond the borders of Israel, but He came preaching the message of salvation to those who needed it the most. That's the sovereignty of God. That I find amazing. In other words, if you think about it, look at Martha. He didn't just wave a magic wand and say, believe. And all of a sudden, she just came to a full awareness of what Christ did for her. No, he pleaded, do you believe? Do you believe in me? That is amazing. So I take it as sovereignty of God in his manner and method and mode in terms of preaching the gospel. We see it throughout. We see it in the woman of Samaria and her needs. We see it with Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. And Jesus entreated him and preached the gospel of the cross to him in that place. Um, He didn't have this beaming light shine out of heaven and all of a sudden awake and say, I I get it now. It wasn't like that. And it is so symbolic of the way we live our own life and we come to the knowledge of the truth like a shining light that shines more and more. We are fashioned over time and experience to finally, like Abraham, see this wonderful provision that God's promised to us in and of Himself. We're merely made the recipients of His sovereign grace, first set forth from before the world was even created. But in due time has made known to us what He has done on our behalf. This is the gospel of the grace of the Son of God. This is the message that salvation is complete. When we were reminded not long ago of that woman, which from one vantage point was a sinner, a terrible person, if you will, who bore a notorious reputation of being a woman of the street. And yet she had enough inclination somewhere in her heart to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ in the house of Simon, who was a Pharisee. It was he that said about that, particular person, that she is a sinner. You know, she, you know she, she, she was being judged by Simon, who was merely a, a Pharisee, but looked at people from the vantage point of the law service. It's interesting that John, who records the event, excuse me, Luke, who records the event, 
says something quite different regarding that woman. He's, he said she was a sinner. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the distinction between the law service. You know, if you're going to live under the law service, you better do it the right way. You're in debt and you need to be paying it. You're under a curse and you need to be aware of it. You know, if you want to live under the law, um, you've got every right to point that woman out and say that she's a sinner. And I've got every right right now, if I live under the law, to point your sins out, expose them, manifest them, deliberate on them, accuse you. I've got every right if I live according to the law. But Jesus basically conveyed to him, Simon, that he's guilty as any other sinner. His religion is just stupefied, if you will, in the arrogance of a religiosity. You see, Simon, as long as he served God beneath law service, could never enjoy the blessings imputed to somebody like Martha or even to that woman who was a sinner. Now, there's no doubt about the fact that whatever her past was, it would stick with her till her dying day. She would never ultimately be delivered from a notorious reputation. But she received something that day that enabled her to serve God in joy and in peace and happiness. You see, she believed in Christ. And what she did by washing His feet with her hair and tears and anointing His feet with oil proves the point that she believed in what He was going to do for her as a Redeemer. She recognized that He would take her sin away. No matter how bad it was, that she could no longer rightfully be accused by the law. That she no longer would serve God by debt or by curse, but by grace and by life. She became an heir of the promise given from before the foundation of the world. She became in possession of something that far surpassed any material, any worth, anything contrived, anything that she could ever obtain. She received the blessings of being a sister, a daughter of the Lord Himself. You know, we have that same privilege today. You know, we can face down the empty tombs today. We see tombs, but we see them empty because we see through the tomb. We see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, when I see my tomb, I don't see myself in there. I see through it. I see the life that I have with God after I die. That's what I see. You know what that is? That to me is enjoying my inheritance right now, although in a very small way. I'm enjoying what God has provided for me right now through believing what His Son did. That's all I wanted to say. May the Lord bless you. Appreciate that, Brother Steve. Really, real good message. Appreciate a continued interest in your prayers, the time that we stand before you, and pray the Lord will bless it for a few minutes. I don't generally title a message, but uh, this one could be titled out of a portion of text in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. 
and I'll take a portion of the phrase right here. It simply says, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. One of the... uh, one of the abilities that Brother Luke has that I bet you didn't know about, he's a great marksman. Um, recently, his family was sharing that he went out to uh, uh, shoot some targets and that he was able to get spot on. But in order to do that, he spent a whole lot of time getting the target just right, getting eyed on the target just exactly right so that he could adequately hit the target or the bullseye. And it doesn't just happen that we find the mark and it doesn't just happen that we press toward the mark. It doesn't just happen that we might stay on course. Recently went to um, the the hills of Virginia and beautiful area down there when Brother Larry had passed away and then the, the week before to visit with him. It's a beautiful area, but I realized how much that when I'm going somewhere to find a location that I've never been, how much I depend on the GPS to do it. If you've ever been in southern Virginia or the mountains of North Carolina, you find out you don't always have the luxury of leaning on your GPS. Because you may be headed in one direction and go over one hill, or as Sister Julie says, down in a holler, and all of a sudden your GPS goes away. And you come up on a road and don't know which way to turn. Now, I don't know. I've heard that it's a man thing. I don't know if it's a woman thing or not. But one of the things that really, really... Uh, bothers me is to make the wrong turn and to go down that wrong path and miss some valuable, valuable time. And I think, boy, I wish I hadn't have messed up like that. Well, we can almost compare that to our life. Has anybody ever in your life, as you look back, realized that You've made some wrong turns. I'm glad to know that only Sister Vicki and I are the only ones that have. And sometimes when we make a wrong turn, it takes a whole lot of time to get back on course. Parents spend a whole lot of time, a whole lot of their teaching with their children to keep them from making wrong turns. And oftentimes, the parents will even tell them sometimes that I don't want you to make some of the wrong turns that I made in my life. I want to spare you from some of those wrong turns. If I can teach you and and instruct you and guide you and save you from some of the mistakes that I've made in life, then I feel like that, that, that I've accomplished something, what I was supposed to make. Well, right here, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of folks that that he loved them dearly to the Philippian brethren right here. 
He had a special, special heart for the folks at Philippi. The Apostle Paul was there when the church was started. How many of you here, anybody here been up to Southampton? I mean, was there at Southampton when the church was started up there? There's a few folks that were. Elsa, sure you were. Your family was charter members of the church at Southampton. They have a special, special place in your heart because you were there from the beginning. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, he's writing the letter to a group of folks. And he says, I want you, I want you, Brother Cook mentioned in his prayer about the joy that we have in serving the Lord. The joy that we have in following the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is saying right here, he says, I want you to press toward the mark. He says, I've been with you from the beginning. I was there when the church was constituted. I was there when you began to have children when, uh, when, uh, with the grandparents. I was there. And he said, I want you to press toward the mark. And he says, there's a great benefit in it. Brother Cook gave us some insight to that benefit in his prayer. Paul says right here, I want you to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that the mark itself is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that mark. And by pursuing Jesus Christ, by committing yourself to Jesus Christ, by committing your course to Jesus Christ, you're going to experience, as Brother Cook said, great joy in your life. Oftentimes, I'll, I'll have an opportunity to visit with young folks. I, I did with Bray and, and, and Brother Danny and, and other young folks to encourage them that the decisions that you make right now, Luke and all the rest of the young folks right here, the decisions that you make right now to pursue the Lord, to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to make a difference in your life the rest of your life. It'll make a great difference in your life if you commit to following the Lord Jesus Christ. If you commit to making yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not a disciple of the world, but a disciple of Jesus Christ. It will affect many other decisions in your life and you'll be blessed in so doing. It will affect all of your life. The Apostle Paul says right here, he says, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, some might tell you, some might, some might try to say and convince you that if you press toward the mark of Jesus Christ, that you're going to earn something, you're going to earn a place in heaven and immortal glory. We realize and we rejoice in knowing that heaven is a gift of God's amazing grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's not something that we are uh, able to uh, achieve in and of ourselves. But there's great blessings. And as Brother Steve said, we're living on the blessings of even knowing uh, where we're going and heaven itself. And what a great blessing that that is. So Paul spends all the Philippians. We're just going to look at chapter 3. And he tells us how that we can press toward the mark, how that we can stay on course. If we realize that getting off course is a great detriment to us, getting off course is a great hindrance to us in our youth, getting off course is a great hindrance to us at any point in our life. Brother Zach Guest says, he's about 80 years old now, and Elder Guest says, he says, I pray every day 
that at this final chapter of my life, that God will bless me to finish my course as committed or more committed than any other time in my whole life. He says, I pray that I can stay on course as I finish this last chapter of my life. That ought to be our desire for every phase of our life, in our youth, throughout our middle age years, and in our old age years as well. So let's go through and look at Philippians chapter 3. We'll take a few minutes here. Chapter 3, chapter 4 are outstanding on Paul instructing us to finish our course and to set the mark on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has a great appreciation for these folks here at Philippi. He starts out and he begins to warn them against false teachers. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Did you know that's another great benefit of setting your mark on Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ is that you do live a life of rejoicing in the Lord. It doesn't mean at all that you're going to escape the difficulties and trials of life. But what it does mean is that in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of those trials, you can rejoice in the Lord. One of the great testimonies, one of the, the great of many testimonies of Sister Perry is that she rejoiced in the Lord. Her life wasn't always smooth. Her life, you would have thought that she never had problems in her life. You'd have thought she never had difficulties in her life. She had problems that probably you'll never know about and probably you'll never experience in your life. Yet God blessed her to rejoice in the Lord. If you're following the Lord, if you've got your mark set on the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of life, you can still rejoice in the Lord. And so Paul starts out right here and he says, Brethren, I want you to again rejoice in the Lord. He mentions it three times right here. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, and again I say, Rejoice. He says, but I want you to be on guard. I want you to be aware. He says, it's not grievous for me to write the same things unto you. He says, it's safe to do so. But he says, I want you to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. He says, for we are the, of the, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ. And he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. He's basically saying right here as he starts out, he says, I don't want you to be misled by any false teachers. Did you know it's a great blessing in knowing the truth? Elder Aquino preached the truth to us. And there's a great blessing in knowing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're saved by the grace of God. He says, you should know the truth. And he says, and the truth is going to make you free. There's a great blessing in knowing the truth. Paul's saying right here, don't be overtaken by false teachers. And then he comes down and he says, and... Don't have any confidence in the flesh. Now, that's so contrary to everything that we hear out in the world. All that we hear out in the world is to teach us how good we are, is to build us up, is to edify us. Now, there's a place to encourage folks. There certainly is a place to encourage. The Apostle Paul was a great encourager, but the Apostle Paul encouraged folks not in himself, and not in themselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll never go wrong in encouraging yourself in the Lord. The Apostle Paul encouraged himself in the Lord. He says he looked around and he was greatly discouraged. 
And he says that all men had forsaken him. But he said the Lord stood with him and the Lord stood by him and the Lord encouraged him. David encouraged himself in the Lord. You'll never go wrong encouraging yourself in the Lord. Paul says, in fact, he says, if there's anybody that could boast of their own achievements, he said, I could. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, he said, I the more. The Apostle Paul says, if anybody really could have confidence in the flesh, he said, I could. He says, I earned the right and the position that if I chose to, I could say that I had confidence in the flesh. But he says, I really, after looking at my own achievements, he says, I see that I really did miss the mark. Look what he says right here. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching a law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, he said, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law blameless. He says, I I, I thought I had it figured out. And he says, if I wanted to boast in the self, he says, I would think that I would be worthy to do that. But when Paul looks at his own accomplishments, here's what he says. He says those things, but what things were gained to me, the things that at one time that he had put a lot of stock in, the things that at one time had caused him to, uh, to to put stock in himself, he said those very things, he said those things that I counted gain, he says those now I count loss for Christ. In fact, he says, and he, he, he brings it a little bit more down in detail, he says, yea, doubtless, I, he says, in fact... I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul is saying right here, the things that I thought that I could boast in, the accomplishments that I thought that I could uh, take claim to or stock in, he says, I'm willing. He says now, he says, I count those things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, I've suffered all things, and I do count them, but Paul says, all of my best accomplishments and achievements in life, he says, I can add them all together, and he says, I count them but done, that I might know Christ and know Him more and more. He says, he says, that I may win Christ. And then Paul says, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then Paul says, this is what his desire is. And Paul is saying, this is the desire for myself, and it's my desire for you as well. Paul says, I want to win Christ. How do you win Christ? How do you know Christ? We realize that the way that you know Christ ultimately is because He has taken His Spirit sovereignly and pointed it and pointed it and planted it in your heart and made you a child of God. But sometimes as we live in this life, we get off that mark. And when we get off that mark, we feel away from the Lord. We don't feel close to the Lord. When we deviate from that mark, we don't feel like we have fellowship with God. We don't feel like we have communion with God. And as one individual said, 
It's not because God moved. It's because we moved. We moved away from God. Paul is saying right here, he says, young folks, I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Him more and more. And I want it to make an impact upon your whole life. He says, parents, don't think you're going to find Christ out in the world. I want you to know more and more about Christ in your life, in your home, in your personal lives. I want your children to see Christ in you. Grandparents, I want you to, I want your grandchildren to know that that the Lord Jesus Christ is first and foremost in your life. All the other accomplishments. Paul said, I took all those accomplishments and I counted them as nothing, as dung, that I might know Christ. Now look what he says right here. And Paul is saying, this is my desire and it's my desire for you. He says that I might know Him, that I might know the power of His resurrection, that I might know the fellowship of His suffering, that I might be made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that which I may apprehend, for that which I am also apprehended of Christ. Now, here's what I think Paul is saying right here. Paul says, I, I, I've got the mark of Christ in front of me, and I've set my focus upon Christ. In order for Luke to hit the bullseye, he had to set and focus on the bullseye, on the mark, in order to be able to hit it. You're heaven bound, and you're going to arrive in heaven by the grace of Almighty God. But I can tell you, a great degree of your joy here on this earth in serving the Lord is going to come by what you set your mark on. Is your mark on the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it on other things? He says, He says, here's, here's what I think Paul summarizes here in the next verse. He says, I've got my sights set on the mark. I haven't got it all totally, completely figured out. I'm headed in the right direction. Sometimes I make some wrong turns. Sometimes I think some wrong thoughts. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm seeking Christ. I know that I'm going to end up in heaven someday by His grace and His mercy. But I I haven't quite gotten it. I haven't quite arrived. I haven't reached that state of perfection. But I'm longing for the day that I'll be changed and made whole. I look forward to that day that this corruptible will be made incorruptible. I look forward to the day that this mortal will be made immortal. He says, I'm looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, I'm going to serve the Lord the best I can. I may miss the mark. I may say the wrong thing. I may think the wrong thing. I may do the wrong thing. But ultimately, my my focus is set on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, you know what? I think this verse right here gives us a, a good prescription that some things in our life we would do well to forget. Yes. I mean, aren't there, aren't there some things that you'd, you'd like to forget in life? 
Aren't there some things that you've said that you, you, you would like to take back? I remember the example that Brother Don Richards gave of, of, of words. I, I think he might have used this example here at Mount Carmel when he, when he was talking about how important words are, what we say. We should think through what we say. He said words are kind of like this, especially the wrong words. He said, have you ever squeezed out too much toothpaste on the toothbrush? A lot more than what you intended to. You, you can't really ever put it back in the tube, can you? I mean, you may have tried, but it, it's kind of hard and just gets real messy to do that. That's kind of the way it is about the wrong words that we say. Sometimes we'd like to take them back. Sometimes we might ask for forgiveness, but it's hard to take them back. Very important. Here's what he says here. He says, Brethren, I, 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 I count myself not to have apprehended. He says, in fact, there's some things that we're to forget. There's some things we're to remember. But he says, they're forgetting those things which are behind. But he says, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. And he says, here's what I'm reaching forth. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk as so as ye have for an ensample. Did you know that, that the greatest role that a grandparent can play, I believe, is to be a godly example? A godly example. I look back upon my life. I'm, I'm out of grandparents, but I, they were a great blessing to me in my life. And I was blessed to know all four of my grandparents and a couple of my great-grandparents. And when I think back upon my grandparents, the first thing that I think of is that they were a godly example. The best role that a parent can play is that of a godly example. And young folks, did you know that you have a special opportunity? Some of us, maybe we messed up and we missed the mark and we can't go back. We can't turn the clock back to when we're a teenager or when we're in our, our 20s or 30s. But you have a special role that only you can fill by being a godly example. Paul is saying we need to be a godly example and we need to look to godly examples. I was thinking after Sister Perry went home to be with the Lord, what a blessing of a godly example that she was. And I thought back about all the people that we've been blessed to know. Elder Compton, Brother Stamper, Brother Polk. Uh, Brother John Davis, Brother Malcolm, so many, uh, Sister Polk, so many, many that were godly examples. And those folks, by their example, affected and changed our life. Our lives are different today because of the godly example of those that went before us. What a great blessing they were. Paul is saying, I want you to be an example. I want you to follow a godly example. Uh, follow a godly example. Let's go down to the, verse 20 and 21. It says, for our conversation is in heaven. Now, conversation, we think of it as our speech. 
But conversation, if you look it up, it can it can cover a whole lot of other things. Conversation can be our life. It can be our thoughts. And right here, Paul says our conversation, our life is in heaven. What is our life? Are we just living our field of this world? Just getting so full of this world and the enticements and the attractions of this world? I believe it's Moses that said he rose to, he, he chose rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Look at what Paul says. Our life, our conversation, our speech is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Paul is saying, my mark is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of blessings in following the Lord. And there's a lot of blessings that we miss out on when we don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, my sight, my focus, my target is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is my all in all. And Paul says, it makes a huge difference in my life. And Paul is saying to these folks that he loves so dearly. He says, I want you to experience the same joy. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. He says, in fact, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul says, and again, I say rejoice in the Lord. He says, I want you to experience that joy. I can tell you from experience and from God's word, at least from my experience. That's the greatest joy on earth is in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to get a lot of blessings if you serve the Lord. You're going to lose a lot of blessings if you don't that are there for you to enjoy. May God bless you.